So as we were planning this, uh, we talked a lot about a lot of stuff. So there's a lot of great, valuable things that um, that, that we're not going to cover. I mean, we, we do not have a monopoly on uh, wisdom when it comes to relationships and dating. We hope that we will share some things that will be of value to me, excuse me, of value to you. <laughs> um, you know, there's, some people say there's nothing new under the sun, and there were things that were said and shared with Lauren and I while we were dating and before we were dating that really helped us out, um, that other people learned along the way, so we want to share some of those things as well. Um, but we decided to take this into a second week next week. Okay, so we're going to end this with some, uh, uh, with some questions, but if we don't get to all the questions, um, we're going to roll it into next week. Now next week, we're gonna, uh, Dustin is going to be here, we're going to start off together in worship, and then we're going to split with guys and girls. Um, girls will stay in here and the guys will go um, somewhere else, you know, the drainage pond over here <laughs> or something, um, and have a discussion and then come back together. Okay, so, uh, and that'll be an opportunity to, to continue to ask questions and to kind of take the, the conversation in a, in a different direction as well. Mm-hmm. Tony and Katie Lovacek, um, some of you know them. Tony um, and Katie spoke to the young adults, uh, I believe it was last year. Um, good friends of ours, uh, did singleness well themselves, uh, met and married in the Lord, and just have a lot of wisdom, and uh, we, we wanted to, to speak with them and have more voices than just our own. Um, so Tony, uh, Katie and, and, and Lauren, and then Tony and myself will be speaking to the guys. So, hmm? great, great. <laughs> so again, you know, you could, there's a hundred different relationship talks out there, and so Lauren and I were talking about what what would be most valuable for us to spend this relatively small amount of time talking about. And so what we decided to do was we decided to um, kind of start with the end goal and work our way back, okay? So when it comes to dating, when it comes to relationships, at this age and stage of life, uh, marriage is in mind, okay? We're not in high school anymore. Um, we're, we're beyond that. You know, you all can be tried as adults, all right? Um, and so, you know, if you're, if you're looking for a relationship or you're in a relationship or you're a guy and you're considering asking a girl out, you're a, a girl who would like to be asked out by a guy, marriage is, is, is in the picture. All right, so if, if you look at what's, um, what's the goal or what's, what do I most want when it comes to dating and relationships, I think that the, I'm going to assume that for, the, for all of us, the answer is, is both love and to be loved, uh, but also marriage. So love and marriage is the, is the end goal. We, uh, what we did not want to do was we did not want to spend our time just giving you uh, Danny and Lauren sayings. Uh, we wanted to start with, what does the Bible have to say about this? If the end goal is marriage, if the end goal is, is love, um, we could each go on and on about what we think that is or how we define that. Some of those would be more right and some of those might be more wrong. But what is, just what does the Bible have to say? All right, so uh, as we look at marriage as uh, we see it defined. Uh, there's, we're a Southern Baptist church, and the doctrinal statement of Southern Baptists is called the Baptist Faith and Message. All right, the Baptist Faith and Message has defined marriage in this way, and we are going to look at the scriptural support for that. All right, here's the definition. Marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in covenant committed for a lifetime. It is God's unique gift 
to reveal the union between Christ and his church and to provide for the man and the woman in marriage the framework for intimate companionship, the channel of sexual expression according to biblical standards and the means for procreation of the human race. So basically we have five five points, all right? And I just I'm just going to kind of breeze through this and how we see this in scripture. All right, so if you look at your scripture, the first text there is, is Mark chapter 10, verse 6. When the uh, Baptist faith, the message says, marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in the covenant, in a covenant commitment for a lifetime. Matthew chapter 6, Matthew 10, verse 6 through 12 says this, that from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Uh, which is a reference to covenant. And so they are no longer two, but one, one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, all right, not just agreements between men, but what God has joined together, the third part of that covenant, let no man separate. And in the house, the discipline, uh, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. All right, so there's a consequence that he's saying, uh, for breaking this covenant. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery, which is a sin that comes with consequences. So we see here that this is a marriage uh, between a man and a woman in covenant. The second part of the definition says it is God's unique gift to reveal the union between Christ and his church. The second text there is Ephesians chapter 5. It's important for us to see this because Ephesians chapter 5 tells us very, very bluntly, very straightforward that Marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. All right, this isn't something that you have to kind of read into or look into the Old Testament context or make sure you have the proper Greek definitions. It straight up says it. So Matthew 5, 22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of, of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, and he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let each wife see that she respects her husband. So we see this connection here, and we could go into all different rabbit trails of, of a lot of things of things and doctrine that isn't in that text, but what we want to focus on is that the marriage relationship is not just a happenstance, it's not just something that came from evolution, that the marriage relationship isn't just something that somebody thought was a good idea at some point, but it was created to represent Christ. It's a beautiful thing. I wanted to make the note here, um, the Baptist Faith and Message specifically says that it's God's unique gift, um, but what we are not saying is that it is the only gift. Mm -hmm. So we want to be very clear that all of life is a gift, and God is using you in each scenario, in each season of your life, to glorify Him through that. So it's not saying that you can only represent Christ if you're married. So clearly, Paul even very specifically speaks to singleness as a gift and saying, 
in the whole realm of your life that each and every day is God-given and God is sovereign over all of it, specifically giving each moment as a gift, calling you to glorify him and all of that. So we're not saying that this is the only gift and the only way that you can represent Christ in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, The third of these five points in the definition of marriage says to provide for a man and woman in marriage the framework for intimate companionship. Um, and the reference uh, follows with what we just read in Ephesians chapter 5. If you look at that text, verses 25 through the end, and you apply the concept of a framework for intimate companionship, and you see that. You see the husband uh, loving his wife as his own body and, and taking care of her and nourishing her and, and giving up his life for her in the same way that the woman relates to the husband and how that, that models Christ, that that is a model of this intimate companionship. The fourth point says it's the channel of sexual expression according to biblical standards. That sex is a significant part of marriage. It's, it's, it's the avenue by which God has designed it. That again, that wasn't just a, uh, an afterthought or just something that just, just happened to kind of go along with it. But God designed the sexual relationship to be in marriage. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says, Let the marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral it goes on to say in, in uh, Proverbs chapter 5 these are, these are texts that move beyond PG-13 and maybe into the R rating uh, but we're all adults here it says in Proverbs chapter 5 verse 15 drink water from your own cistern it's a sexual reference here <laughs> Okay, in marriage Flowing water uh, from your own well, should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the street? This is uh, coming after a text that's talking about visiting an adulteress or a prostitute. Verse 17, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife. All right, marriage relationship. The wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. All right, so... Is sexual lingo here, but it's talking about the marriage relationship, and this is the avenue. Um, and then finally, the fifth piece is the means for procreation in the human race. Genesis chapter uh, 1, verse 28, it says on the next page, most of you just flip there, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on from the earth. Now, somebody could read this text and say, Danny, does all of Genesis really apply to us today? Um, And I was trying to do some studying on this, and very simply, how many of you have the ESV study Bible? You need it if you don't have it. It's, it's excellent. It's an amazing resource. The study Bible has got commentary that goes along with it, and it helps you easily cross-reference. If you're looking for something like that, that's what you... It's one of my first go-tos when I'm, when I'm doing a Bible study. The ESV study Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, says this, that this motif, which is be fruitful and multiply, which is a command given by God to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, this motif recurs throughout Genesis in association with the... Div- with uh, the divine blessing and serves as the basis for the biblical view that raising faithful children is a part of God's creation plan for mankind. Do you hear that? That raising faithful children is a part of God's creation plan for mankind. That children don't happen by accident. 
that children weren't uh, an afterthought, but that children and the means by which you get children is God's divine plan for the spread of his kingdom. Godly parents raising their kids in a Christ-like home so that they can become Christians and do likewise. That God's creation plan is that the whole earth should be populated by those who know him and who serve wisely as his representatives. So to have children in a Christian home is part of the, of, of the divine reason why God has created marriage. So, marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in a covenant commitment for a lifetime. It is God's unique gift to reveal the union between Christ and his church and to provide for the man and the woman in marriage the framework for intimate companionship and the channel of sexual expression according to biblical standards and the means for procreation of the human race as the definition with scriptural support for what marriage is. So if you're looking to be married one day, that's what you should want if you think about marriage. Does that make sense? Because we could all have different facets that we're thinking about as far as what marriage is or could or should be. This is what the Bible says it is. And if we add more things to that or if we take things away from that, we're giving a disservice to the Holy Scriptures. So that's marriage defined. Love defined in Scripture, we see um, when you look at the word love in the Bible... Um, many of you have heard the, that there are different Greek words for the, for the word love, and um, if you if if you're interested in a relationship, if you're interested in marriage, uh, if you're interested in dating, then you're probably not interested in um, a good buddy to go to the movies with. You know what I mean? Phileo love. You're probably not interested in just like. You know, I'm bored on a Friday night. I could really play a game of chess right now. You know, um, you're you're interested in a relationship. You know, not brotherly love. You know, hopefully you're already in a community group. You're not looking for an, uh, just another community group with one other person. <laughs> you know, you're you're looking you're looking for more than that. Um, eros love, where we get the word erotic, has kind of been perverted. Um, and some people refer to that type of love as being the romantic type of love, and that word is not actually really used in the New Testament at all. Um, but there is a, a, a very beautiful description of this um, affectionate relationship-driven love that we see throughout Scripture. So when you do word searches in the New Testament uh, to, to pull up all the texts that have the word love and husband or love and wife or husbands and, and all the uh, the different versions of that, what you see is the word love defined as um, fondness of somebody, a deep affection, a personal attachment, um, not anything having to do with uh, lust or anything that goes along with that, um, but the fondness, attraction, personal attraction. So it's just kind of like I'm attracted to this person whether it's, it's physically or, or personality, there's, there's, a, there's a fondness, there's an attraction with, between me that I have for this other person. The second thing, this is, this, I pulled these definitions out of Strong's uh, interlinear uh, uh, lexicon for the Greek language, is a judgment, and a deliberate, judgment and deliberate assent of the will as a matter of principle. Okay, so if you've ever heard uh, that love is a, is a choice, like love can be an emotion, but it's also a choice. It's speaking of that 
that in this type of love between a man and a woman in the context of marriage, that it's not just fondness, affection, and personal attachment, uh, but there's also judgment and deliberate assent of the will as a matter of principle, meaning that there is both an emotion and a decision. Not just running, not just burning off of, I like this person a lot, but a choice of, of the intellect that is taking place in this type of love. And this type of love can also include um, sexual attraction or sexual affection in, in this definition. So it's not wrong to be attracted to somebody. It's not wrong to be attracted to somebody's uh, pers- personality. We all are created with a sex drive, but there is a proper definition for marriage, and there's a proper definition and principle that we see for love. So if that's our goal, if, if you're interested in a relationship, whether now or one day, you're interested in marriage, you're interested in dating, um, this is where we need to start because this is where we want to end. All right, and so this is going to determine the path by, what we get, by, by which we get there. You good? Well, I was <laughs> doing great over here. Just get, get going sometimes. Um, Go. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, I mean, we all know that our culture has its own definitions, um, but I was listening to a Russell Moore podcast the other day kind of in preparation for this, and he was talking about Um, Valentine's Day specifically and how marketers know that they are targeting our age group or this age group that is not necessarily in a long-term committed relationship for Valentine's Day because they're marketing on this need for a continued, he called it even a blush feeling, that they're, they're, they're gearing their definition of love to someone who is not necessarily in this long-term committed decision for love so that as a culture we start to relate the word love with that feeling of the flush feeling that you know uh, I got really excited sitting next to that person we have we have those feelings but to connect it with the definition of love and to say that that's what love is solely is what the culture tells us which is why we have such a high divorce rate because then it's about me it's feeding my selfish desires so that when my selfish desires aren't met love's broken I fell out of love I'm not feeling it anymore so if we were defining love in that way as the culture does not as this decision to for a lifetime have a companion in the Lord as a a way that we're going to glorify him through our marriage then we're missing the mark because we're missing this long-term and we're, we're settling for what the culture says might turn over in three minutes or five days or whatever. You know what I mean? So, anyway, mm-hmm. there you go. <laughs> 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 go ahead. <laughs> um, so I think the next question that we would ask, again, kind of reverse engineering this, if this is our goal to love and, and marriage then I think the next uh, good question, the next fair question is, if this is the goal, then who should I love and who should I marry? Who should I love and who should I marry? Again, we don't want to offer um, Danny and Lauren's commentary because I think Scripture is very, very clear who you love and who you should marry. Um, Adam Baldwin, uh, that basket that's sitting on the back counter up there, I think has got a dry erase marker. Could you just throw it at me? There are three things that are outlined in Scripture 
Um, sweet. That kind of answered this question. Who should I love and who should I marry? One, opposite sex. I, I think it's important to say this. Uh, we're living an interesting day and time now, but um, this is specifically outlined in Scripture. Now, I'm not saying this as just to kind of put that social commentary out there. I decided to say this first amongst the other things because marriage is a... Is an, um, falls under the category of common grace, all right? What common grace is, is something that God has given that can benefit every man, woman, every man and woman on the earth, whether you're a Christ follower or not, so that you could have two people who are not believers, that are not Christians, that could have a good, healthy, meaningful marriage till death do them part, okay? That that's possible, all right? And so marriage is not to be denied by the church to uh, people who want to get married. So as a pastor, um, the second point, which I'll get to here in just a second, but I'll put put it up here. Um, We are to marry in the Lord, and Lauren and I talked about the the phrasing of that, but you're, you're to marry somebody who is also... A, a Christian, and we're going to put some meat on the bones of that, but um, that across the board, Christ has created uh, gender very specifically. He created the male and female. That is repeated throughout Scripture, both in the New Testament and the Old. And um, that if God is going to allow uh, mankind to be blessed by something, his blessing comes by people uh, following God's ways. Okay, so you could have a somebody who's not a Christian. Uh, but run a business and do so ethically and honestly and sincerely caring about people and his business can prosper. Those are good things. Those are biblical things. Those are, those are honorable things. Those are righteous things, but not done for the Lord will not have eternal consequence for his soul, um, but they're, uh, they're of value. So it's, it's, it's worth noting here <clears throat> that there are three <clears throat> guidelines uh, when we ask the question, who should I love, who should I marry? So number one, Genesis 1, 27. Where did I put my notes? Here we go. <clears throat> so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Later in Genesis chapter 5, male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they uh, were created. So we see uh, male and female created. Um, the second point in, we see in Scripture is that we are to marry in the Lord only Christians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses uh, 14 through 18 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Sin is defined as lawlessness. Okay? So what partnership has righteousness with sin or, what, or righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, another name for Satan? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. 
We are the temple of the living God. We don't have a tabernacle anymore. We don't have Solomon's temple anymore because the Holy Spirit dwells in us, those of us that are Christ followers. And so if we are to marry and become one with somebody who is not a Christ follower, it says, according to this scripture, we are defiling the temple of the living God. Not to be taken lightly. Not one of those things that says, you know what, it would really be just better if you two agreed on some of these things. No, th- this, is, this is a matter of idolatry here. Th- th- this language is saying, would you take uh, uh, an Asherah male prostitute and put him to work in Solomon's temple? No! <laughs> That's a holy place. You don't mix these two gods. God is jealous for what is his, and if you're a Christ follower, you're his and you're his temple. It goes on to say in this text, in the second paragraph there in 2 Corinthians, that I will make my dwelling among them and I will walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. All right, saying that God has come down to us and he dwells among us and his Holy Spirit is with us. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you should be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. I wanted to interject here. Um, I very specifically remember when I was single, a lot of my friends having this general angst about are there any good Christian guys left? When would this happen? I don't really see anyone around me. And so there was a, well, maybe I can lower that standard a little bit. And Danny, I think, gave a really clear image of spiritually what that the ramifications of, of that are. But I think even practically, if we're defining marriage as being tied to one another, committed under Christ, um, if you are literally tied with one another and you are running in opposite directions, there's a very clear strain put on that on that binding. Um, and if you have your allegiance is to Christ, and the person that you're marrying's allegiance is to themselves or their money or their business or whatever other their family, their I mean whatever other thing that they might be about, if they're not about Christ. Um, then you are running in opposite directions, and there will be a very clear strain on that binding. Um, so I just want to very clearly challenge you that that standard should not be lowered. Um, so. The third piece that the scripture demands <clears throat> who I should love, who I should marry. somebody who is growing in godliness. Um, when we say uh, marry in the Lord, we're not talking about somebody who is nominally Christian. We're not even talking about it, somebody who claims to be Christian. It, it, it just so burdens my heart um, when I mean, I talk to a lot of people and so and we talk a lot about life, talk about family, talk about parents, talk about friends, talk about roommates, talk about, I mean, meet with a lot of guys, talk about girls that they're dating, and um, talk about uh, grandparents, they're sick, and I, I will regularly ask, are they believers? And do they know the Lord? And where do your mom and dad live? Are they believers? Um, and whenever somebody answers this way, my heart drops. When somebody says, uh, yeah. You know, I can't judge the soul, and I don't intend to, but 
Um, to be a Christ follower, it means that there's action involved. To be a Christ follower means that there's growth. That's, it's called perseverance of the saints. Uh, to be a Christ follower means that there's, that there's motion. Not that there isn't struggle, not that there isn't sin, not that there isn't vice, not that there isn't um, habits that you're, you're fighting, not that there isn't times where you really need to confess some real sins, but that growing in, in godliness is what is, is demanded of Christ followers. It is, is not optional. Do you love me? Then do my commandments. You know? How do you tell, if you can't judge the heart, how do you tell if somebody's a Christ follower? Well, who is doing Christ-like stuff? That's, that's how you tell, if you, can't, if you can't judge the heart. You will know them by their, by their deeds, it says in Scripture. Um, 2 Peter, continue moving along in the text here. It's the second text under godliness. Um, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. All right, so you've been given a great gift in the gospel so that you could have action towards it, so that you could, part, you could partake in it. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, for this very reason, make every effort, all right, meaning there's action, there's involvement, there's forward motion, to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. There's a lot of action going on here. Self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection, a brotherly affection with love. Verse 8, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he has been cleansed from his former sins. And it kind of goes on and on and on, that it's about forward motion, it's about growth, it's about pursuing godliness. But we all need to also understand that this does not mean perfection. This does not mean sinlessness. This does not mean that uh, there's some, there, I have my continued weaknesses that I could, need to keep working on. So does Lauren and so do you. It's not saying that, that other people are void of that. Yeah? Remember that, remember that time? Yeah. <laughs> it was bad. Um, jump back up to the top of the page Ephesians chapter 6 it says finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities the cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil, verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all you can do to stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore, having done all of these things. And so there's um, not one specific verse that says your future mate must be growing in godliness, but there is a screaming principle in scripture that we are supposed to be about the kingdom. And if you unite and you marry somebody, who is not also about the kingdom. And what does it mean to be about the kingdom? It means to be growing. It means to be going. It means to be doing uh, what you need to do as a believer. Confess your sins. Recover when you sin. Take it to the cross. Make it right with your brother. Doing those things.
Proverbs 31 speaks of the woman who fears the Lord as a very, very, very good thing and a treasure for a husband. And Isaiah speaks about how iron sharpens iron. And if you are going to be companions in a covenant for life with somebody, you need to be somebody that they can sharpen you and you can sharpen them. It says in 2 Corinthians that bad company corrupts good morals. We see that in marriages. And we see Jesus Christ giving the example that a little bit of leaven can corrupt the whole thing. That there's no such thing as uh, missionary dating. That there's no such thing as, as missionary marriages. It's, it's unbiblical. It's unbiblical. It's ungodly. One of the things I was listening to again in preparation for this, um, someone specifically said, if you're not a believer, you can have conversations, you can have things in common with a non-believer, you can have deep conversations about politics and ethics and a whole bunch of other things, but if you're not a believer, you're not going to be able to speak to one another at your deepest heart level, as in what has been changed in your inner, that you have a no longer have a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. And if you can't speak to someone on a heart level, how in the world can you be married to them? How in the world can you pursue Christ with them? Um, and so, I mean, I feel like that was kind of a direct hit at if we've been changed, if we have a new heart, we cannot share on a heart level with someone who does not also speak that language. Mm-hmm. A girl called me um, that grew up in, I'm not sure why I'm choking up too much here, grew up in the youth group here and asked if I would do her wedding about, this was in April, two months ago, last month, and um, hadn't heard from her in forever, but we're Facebook friends, you know, went to a Christian college, and uh, basic questions, you know, is he a believer? Well, uh, not really. Met in a bar. And um, not sure about things. He's not on board. Um, and as the, as the conversation continued, it got, it, got, it got bad. Broke my heart. And they left the church um, and found somebody to marry him. And um, I'm sure he was a good guy. Pictures on Facebook, he looks like a good guy. He really does, you know. Um, He might love her really well. Um, But, I mean, the Holy Spirit works. But that was a rough phone call. And um, I think most of you know that, but, you know, when your heart is already taken, it's just a dangerous place. You know, she was not in a place to hear life-giving truth. Um and I wish that there had been other people in her life, or I don't know, I wonder if anybody um, her mom was totally on board, longtime members here. I wonder if anybody said, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't think so. Um, just broke my heart. 
I cried. <laughs> um, I lost my place. Okay. So, who should I love and who should I marry? They need to be of the opposite sex. They need to be a Christ follower. And they need to be growing in the Lord. Um, well, quickly, I just want to just kind of unpack this. What does this look like? What does it look like for somebody to be growing in the Lord? Because if you're... Um, we need to be clear on that. All right? Um, somebody who is growing in the Lord um, is somebody that has uh, shown their commitments to the Lord. This has shown their commitments to the Lord. All, you see in Scripture that there's, there's warning to uh, new believers um, and, and people who are new to a, 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 a church, that they shouldn't be just thrown into leadership and thrown into teaching because they need to be watched. Not like, you know, hey, we're judging you, but they, they, need, to, they need to show that they're committed to the body, that they're committed to the word, and that they're, that they're consistent. These are great qualities. And uh, what I'm not saying is that, you know, there's a lot of people that come to this group, and there's new people every, every single week, literally. Every single, every single Sunday, there's, there's brand new people, all right? So there's new people coming to Charleston. I'm not saying that new people are ungodly by any means. But if you're looking for a godly person, one of the things that you need to look at is, are they committed to the body? And you can't tell that until there's some time spent, you know? Um, are they consistent uh, in godliness, in, in the word, in prayer? Are they looking for the community uh, with other believers? Um, again, we're not saying that this person has to be flawless or perfect, um, but their trajectory is, gl- is growing towards godliness. I think it's also um, poignant to say here or fitting to say here that it's not just how they interact with the body of Christ but how they interact how they handle them their lives are they reflecting a life that says I am being transformed into Christ likeness and I have characteristics of Christ being represented in areas of my life like finances like am I committed to my job am I committed to relationships do I repent when I have done something wrong with a roommate or do I reconcile differences in with family members Again, we are not saying that these things all have to be perfect, but is there forward motion or a, at least a desire to say that the Lord is all of is Lord of all of my life, um, not just when they're in the body or with mm-hmm. believers? You could keep going and, and talking about twenty five other things that 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 show godliness, but um, uh, we think that these are these are some of the important things we just want to mention. Um, I think it's a good question to ask, um, are you this person? Um, you need to be, and I wouldn't encourage anybody to date you if you're not. Um, but it's, it's self-diagnostic questions are mandated in Scripture, um, but incredibly healthy. You know, how am I doing? Um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, ask, actually asking yourselves, do I believe the gospel? Am I committed to this gospel? Um, is there consistent consistency and commitment and, and godliness and faithfulness in your life? Um, Please do not hear this as a list of extra things to do. We are not talking about do you spend five hours studying the Bible? Do you... 
I mean, I think I think we can we could go realist real legalistic wing on this, but that's not what we're saying is is your allegiance to Christ outside of yourself? Mm-hmm. Are you letting him have those areas of your life? Sorry. Just... You're good. If 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 you say no to that and you're a Christ follower, you have the Holy Spirit. You know, you have the Holy Spirit. We all have this this up and down thing, um, but what we have also is the blood of Jesus that that washes us. We've got a, a peace that passes understanding. We have a hope that the world does not have, and we have resources in the body of Christ that don't make sense to the world. And so, if you're at a point in your life where you're struggling um, with just your own pursuit of Christ, there are good days ahead of you if if you follow. What the, what the scripture has to say, and and we want to be here for that. That's what community groups are for. That's what the young adult ministry is for. Talk to us. Um, just there, there's there's great hope. All right, but in your self-diagnostic questions, if you say, I don't know where I'm at with that, um, and but and you're a Christian, there's great hope. If you're not a Christian, there's hope only in the gospel. Man is a sinner in need of a savior, Jesus Christ. Next point, um, if you understand this, and what does a godly person look like, uh, I want to I want to just ag- address the question: um, Where does attraction fit in? It just seems like, and it was true in my own life as a single guy until I was 33. Um, the whole issue of attraction is a pretty big deal, <laughs> and so where is that in this scheme? Where is this in Scripture? Where is this? in the definition of marriage and, and, and in love and what the Lord has outlined for us to look for in a mate. Um, attraction uh, is just not required in Scripture uh, for marriage. But the Bible greatly affirms it. <laughs> Shoo! You know? <laughs> and I just want to make that point because I think when we address the attraction question, um, we need to see it in context. And the more clearly we can see it, uh, the, more, the more accurately we can deal with it and, and put it in the right place. So understanding that, it, that it's not listed technically in the list of, of requirements in order to man, uh, to, um, for, for you to be married to somebody, but the Bible greatly affirms it. And not only does the Bible affirm, affirm it, because we read that text in in Proverbs, it talks about a man passionately loving, using that word love, uh, the wife of his, his youth. And in the Ephesians text about how a man loves his wife, it's not just, you know, hey, good buddy, I'm in charge of taking care of you. I mean, it, it, that, the, the word in its definition had all of the attraction pieces to it as well. So the Bible affirms it and by affirming it says that it is good and it is right if you want it, and we all do, I would venture to say, that we want to be attracted to the person that we marry. So with that as a background, let's just assume that we're all on board with that, that we want to be attracted to the person that we date. Anybody disagree with that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Put that in the question mark. Um, I also believe that it's best if there's attraction, whether it's just you're attracted uh, personally or attracted to them physically. It's what we would call you have chemistry, you know? 
So if you go back to the who should I love and who should I marry, and you have these three different points, and the Bible does not technically require attraction, um, but it, it affirms it and is a good thing, it's something that you want, I believe that the Bible allows us to put that as a fourth piece of the scenario. And I want to do some explaining here. What kind of person am I looking for? Somebody who is the opposite sex, somebody who is a Christ follower, somebody who is growing in godliness, and somebody who I'm attracted to. Um, I look at these four different points as um, all incredibly important. Um, so important that you can't remove any one of them. In, in today's day and in, in time, we don't deal with arranged marriages, and so I have a hard time seeing two people getting married if the attraction factor isn't there at, at some level. But um, they have to carry different weights. So these are not all 25% to equal 100. They, they all carry different weights. And I, the example that I get, uh, I, when Laura and I were talking about this, the example <coughs> that we kind of came up with is a, is a budget. Uh, if you have a four-part budget, you have your mortgage or your rent, you have your food money, you have utilities, and then Lauren and I have a line item that we, we call fun, and that is if we want to go out to eat, you know, if we want to go to the movies, if we want to go downtown and get TCBY, like just that, that fun category. <laughs> Sometimes we get crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's crazy being married. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> um. <laughs> so, um... You have those four pieces, and you know, in a budget, you obviously you can't sacrifice your rent. It's mandatory. It's foolish. It's stupid. It's irresponsible. Um, it's idiotic if if you were to to not include the the mortgage or your food bill. You need you need a food budget. You need utilities. You have to have water. You have to have electricity. Now, technically, you could, if we were really stretched, you know, go without. But what we have found. Is that, is that we need it. We need it for our sanity. We need it for our relationship. That if we, move, if we remove that fourth piece, life is just a whole lot more difficult. Um, I remember when I first left the home, and um, I, my job, the first job that I, I, I worked at was, I got $22,000, and, and my rent was $600 plus utilities. I mean, it was, you know, I, I, I was paying for gas with change, and my mom was saying, you gotta. Hi. <laughs> I was eating spaghettios, um, and uh, <laughs> and I remember my mom saying, "It's okay to she and in my tiny budget at the time, like just to have twenty five dollars a month, you know, just for sanity." And again, this this is an example that you can't take to the furthest extreme. Um, but you have to ask yourself to, to weight these things properly. What's driving your budget? You know, if the majority of your budget is on fun, uh, you're going to be short, you're going to be hungry. You're not going to be able to pay your rent, or you're going to be paying in a really crappy place, place that you don't need to be living in. 
Um, you're not going to have the basic essentials of life. All right, that, that, that fun category needs to be there, but it needs to be weighted properly. Um, if you focus on these three things, uh, the opposite sex, marrying the Lord, and marrying somebody who's growing in godliness, and you're also attracted to them, what I believe Scripture teaches and what we see in life is that in God's economy, uh, attraction then grows. If you focus on the three things and lesser on the fourth piece, then, then throughout the course of a godly marriage, your attraction grows in ways that are just hard to explain. Because I can't explain to you how much more I love Lauren now, five years in, than five years ago. But back then, I thought, I can't love you more. But I do. And I won't try to explain that more, but it's true. You know, and in the same way, you see walking down the sidewalk, little hump hunched over grandma and grandpa shuffling along in, in, in any way, any way, unattractive other than they're cute because they are attracted to each other. You know, you look at that, and I send Lauren texts, and I'm like, I see that, and it's like, I want that. I want that. I want to hold your hand when we're 90, you know? And so it's one of those things where think, think of this payoff. All right, so weighted properly. (laughs) So (laughs) weighted properly, in God's economy, the attraction grows. And I I don't know what else I could say other than it's, it's beautiful. There are people who would die for that. Um, you see it when you see those old couples? I mean, attra- I mean physical beauty is gone, but that, 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 that soul attraction that, that looks through age and sees beauty and that commitment can just numerically just grow. And so that's why you look at these things and you say you have to, you have, have to have the proper weight. If you focus, on the contrary, if you focus on the fourth piece, hey, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong to, you know, to focus on attraction and say that's where I'm going to put most of my effort. You're setting yourself up um, to be let down or to, to lose interest, which is a tragedy when it comes to the covenant of marriage to lose interest in the one you've vowed your life to before God. Um, Or when they do become unattractive, to say, I'm not in it anymore. Um, And so I think that's worth saying. And so as you think and as you process um, these things that are mandated by God, it has to be the opposite sex. Somebody who is in the Lord and growing in godliness Yet attraction does play a role, they have to be weighted properly. And so as you are um, looking or waiting or longing, or even if you are pretty content right now, um, but you see yourself being married, or you you desire that one day, or you want a relationship later or now, um, that these are the things that God is looking for. And I think the reason why I'm saying this is I think we need to be real careful to not 
take away from this list. Um, but be careful you add to it. Um, I think it's okay to, you know, have some things that you would like to see in somebody. Um, nothing wrong with that, you know, but um, I don't know if I want to go into too much more detail. We talked a little bit about that. You can go into that if you want, but like, I think you just need to be real careful um, what you add to that of like, this is what I need to have because God hasn't said that to you. <laughs> you know, this is what God has said. Um, I think that said well. I I will just add, I'm, before I was a believer, I don't, I'll just completely confess, I had a pretty lengthy list, like literally some friends and I wrote a list, um, which I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think it is good to think through those things. Um, very good to have in mind what you're looking for, yet I pulled that list out. Now, again, this was before I was a believer, so some crazy things on the list, but I was thinking like, oh, let's see how many of the things Danny meets. And many of them, I mean, I am, we, I pulled this out after I was married to the love of my life, who I will spend the rest of my life with deeply and madly in love with. And to look at the things that I had in ignorance put on my list were shameful to me because I had, I had not factored in these things. Now, certainly when I became a believer, I said, okay, well, I'll add these things to the list yet. I'll keep this other list of highway I mean a lot of it for me at the time was physical stuff that I was super thought I don't know owed or somehow was gonna miraculously materialize in front of me I think he's an incredible I mean far surpassed any of the things I ever had on my list because of what we've been talking about that we have the right things weighted but I looked at that list and I thought why why would I ever have thought that this was whatever that list was was the standard and not these things here. So, I think it can be dangerous. Um, again, not saying that you don't have things that that do cause that attraction. There's chemistry. Think things are funny. You have things in common, um, but that it's weighted properly. 